0: everyone. Welcome to another episode of So Money. Great to have you here. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Now, today's guest is someone for whom I had the privilege of working when I was first in New York City working as a junior reporter at Money Magazine. And there, my guest, John Berger, was a senior writer. And so it is with great pleasure that I introduce him today on the show. John is the recent author now of the newly published book, Date Anomics how dating became a lopsided numbers game. He explains the shortage of college educated men for every heterosexual woman out there, what he calls the man deficit. And it's not that he's just not into you. Well, there's just not enough of him, he explains. And in the book, John further goes on to talk about why this is the case, examining a combination of demographics, statistics, game theory, and good old number crunching. And good news, he offers some solutions for his female readers who wish to get married, like which college to attend if you're young enough, where to hang out, and where to live in order to meet Mr. Wright. In addition to his book, John is a contributor to Fortune Magazine, as well as a freelance journalist whose work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Time, Barron's, Bloomberg Businessweek, among many others. Now, prior to his work as a freelance journalist, John was a senior writer at both Fortune and, as I mentioned, Money Magazine. You may also recognize his name because he's had numerous radio and TV appearances for this book, ranging from MSNBC to CNN to NPR, Good Morning America, and most notably, in 2013, the Silicon Valley trade group Always On Network named John a power players in technology business media. So he is a hard hitting journalist on top of an author of a wildly popular book. Several takeaways from our interview with John. One, the economic landscape behind the dating world today and solutions for women who feel they just can't find Mr. Right. This absurd notion that goes around, we've heard it, you've heard it, of dating down, right? And why it's insulting to use that phrase. And the power of the ultimatum, (laughs) why women who wish to be married should really try this at home, John says. And so without further ado, here is John Berger. John Berger, welcome to So Money. Such a pleasure to connect with you after all these years. I know. It's been forever. And uh, you've gone on to uh, write this amazing book called Datanomics. I've been seeing headlines for this everywhere, which I'm really excited to see it getting such great attention. Datanomics, how dating became a lopsided numbers game. Now, John, you're not someone who typically writes about dating. As I remember, you are somebody who wrote a lot about business and finance and uh you've interviewed corporate CEOs what interested you in datanomics was it the the economics behind dating or was it dating that was most interesting to you
1: well, as you reference, I normally write about much, much more boring stuff like the stock market or, or oil and gas or things like that. Um, I mean, actually, my, my interest in this topic grew out of the time I spent, uh, working with you, both working with you at Money and then later at, um, at Fortune Magazine as you may recall the staffs at fortune and later for me at least at at uh at money uh were disproportionately female um and my recollection was all the guys were kind of dorks like me and we were married or about to get married. And all the women seemed to have a lot more going for them um, from a dating perspective, yet they all seemed to be single and unhappily single. And I, I guess it, it was a curiosity for me um at the time. And then my wife and I, when we were younger, we used to try to play matchmaker with some of our single friends. But I think after we hit 30, I We just didn't know any more single men anymore, but we knew all these (laughs) incredible single women, and I, I I think, I had always wondered what was going on.
0: And so, it's not that he's just not that into you; it's that there's not enough of him. Talk about this lopsidedness in the in the market and how that's impacting the dating scene, particularly for women.
1: So it basically goes back to college education. So the last year in the United States that more men than women graduated from college was 1982. And basically every year since – um women have been outpacing men in terms of college graduation by a bigger and bigger margin. So last year, about 35% more women than men graduated from college, which is essentially four women for every three men. And what's happened is over the past 10. plus years is this lopsidedness in college graduation has spilled over into the post-college dating market. So nationally you now have um about five and a half million College grad women age 22 to 29 versus about four million college grad men age 22 to 29, um, and obviously none of this would matter if we were all a bit more open-minded about who we were, who we were seeking to date and marry. But over the past 50 years, Americans have become less and less likely to date and marry across educational lines. In other words, college grads tend to marry other college grads.
0: Right, or I, I get letters from women who say I have a master's or a PhD, and I want to find my equal, meaning uh, my academic equal. And so, your so, this book not only talks about the landscape and the numbers, which uh, are very compelling, but also which I love. They talk you talk about solutions. So, for women who are interested in uh, monogamy and relationship and marriage, and to you know, let's be honest, some women are not uh, absolutely, yeah. But for those who are you have some solutions including maybe it's about changing your geography. Maybe it's about if you're young enough, changing where you go to college. And then you would talk about uh, that you should embrace the power of the marriage ultimatum. What does that mean?
1: Well, you know, there's a, there's a familiar um, saying in, in business and politics. I'm sure you've heard it before that, that you should never make a decision before you have to. And um yeah, I think that's advice even my dad gave me way back when. Um, but for men who are, who are dating, um, if men, um, if men sort of think that way what's the incentive for a man to settle down and get married if they can keep uh, their girlfriend as an option while continuing to survey the field in some ways that's a rational choice for them given the state of the dating market so the value of an ultimatum is it creates artificial scarcity in an otherwise abundant marketplace it makes you fear uh, losing um, what you currently have and I, I think you know It it doesn't just work in dating, obviously. It works in business. It works in (laughs) politics. It works in diplomacy. And there's no reason if it works in every other aspect of life that it it couldn't or shouldn't work in um, in the area of romance and dating as well.
0: I want to go back to what you said earlier about being more open-minded about who we date. And for women who are very accomplished, who go on to achieve not just a bachelor's, but perhaps a master's, and then they become entrepreneurs, and this idea that telling them you should date someone who never went to college, um, they see that as quote-unquote dating down. How do you get over that stigma? What do you say to a woman who has that mindset?
1: Look, I'm not telling anybody who to date. I'm just saying um, be open to the possibility, which I think is is different. And I I will say, for me, there's a little bit of a, this isn't just conceptual for me because my wife and I, um, are, have good friends. She's a, an Ivy league educated teacher. He's a working class guy. They've been married 20 years. They, um, they're great parents. They're a great couple. Um, and the whole notion that this woman quote married down, I just find offensive because he, because this is a great guy and they're a great, they're a great partnership. Mm -hmm. So, um, I should, I just wanted to preface it because it, for me, this is not just conceptual. Um, but, but again, I'm not telling women or men for that matter who to marry or who to date. I just think for men, um, being close-minded about dating doesn't really cost them in a dating market sense, just because the supply of college grad women is so vast. For women, uh, being unwilling to even consider dating working-class guys doesn't just make it statistically more challenging for them; it gives way too much leverage in the dating market to the college grad men.
0: Right, and I I, I also echo what you say about that being insulting to say you're dating down. Um. And in my book, When She Makes More, I talk about this precisely that for women too, if you're going to go on to run your own business and perhaps be at a high level executive or uh, just make significantly more than your partner, as many women are these days, sometimes you need balance in your relationship. If you marry a type A who's just as quote unquote ambitious in that area as you, it's going to be hard when it comes time to uh, negotiating your time together, managing your family. And so, you know, I... I can speak to this personally in my family. I make more than my husband. I'm more educated than him, but it works beautifully. And because he has strengths that I don't, that I actually need more than anything else in my relationship, such as, you know, emotional intelligence. And he has a lot of flexibility in his time at work to be able to help us support raising our kids. And so there's, these are, I think this is the, the new normal and your book really, uh, really does a great job of of laying out the territory for us.
1: Thank you. All
0: right, John, let's shift now over to the so money questions. And so I want to learn more about you, the man behind this book, and being that you have covered the financial landscape for so long. Curious to hear more about your financial perspectives and philosophies, starting with the first question, which is, what is your financial philosophy if you had one, a money mantra?
1: Hmm. Um, well, I, I'm probably – more conservative and more plain vanilla than I, I should be or could be. And actually, in some ways, this is uh, echoing what you just said. This is because of my wife. My wife is a, is a partner at a law firm. She has a million conflicts of interest, um, business wise because of corporate clients. So I'm, I, I can't invest in a lot of individual stocks, uh, without her having to go through a whole complicated um disclosure process. So I, I tend to invest mainly in 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 mutual funds and things like that. Not because I, I'm disinterested in individual stocks, but just because you know that's that's the way it is.
0: <laughs> you get in trouble otherwise.
1: Right. I'm trying yeah, I'm trying not to get in trouble either with my wife or her firm. So.
0: But you know I often hear on this show that boring is best because you can't actually beat the market as some people think foolishly. And if you do, it's luck, it's dumb luck. So maybe that's a good thing. I You know, I do think
1: that I remember when my wife was a, a federal prosecutor many years ago, the U.S. government had a, a very, very plain vanilla retirement plan uh, with like three or four mutual fund options. There was a, a money market fund, a bond fund, an S&P 500 fund, and I think an fund. And with those four choices, um, my wife's um, uh, retirement fund consistently beat um, my retirement fund, in terms of uh, in terms of total return, and as you may recall, the Time Inc. plan had about a hundred different funds that you could choose from. Uh, but uh, you know, her, her plain vanilla um, plan always seemed to beat mine.
0: Yeah, sometimes less choice is better. Uh, take us back to childhood, John. I don't even know that much about you as far as where you grew up, and um, maybe share a an anecdote of your first financial memory. Sometimes guests talk about the lemonade stand they opened or it's the allowance that they had or, you know, when they wrecked their car when they were a teenager and they had to pay for it. So what would you say is your earliest memory of money that ended up teaching you a lot about money uh, even now as an adult?
1: Well, I grew up in, in the Boston area, suburban Boston. Um, my mom was a homemaker. My dad was a chemical engineer who was in the, in the plastics business. So there are all sorts of Dustin Hoffman (laughs) jokes in my, (laughs) my, in my home about about plaques. Um, you know, my, my dad was always very, and still is very, um, uh, both interested in investing and um very involved so he had a a broker who who he would check in with every day um and he was this broker i i I may have only met him once or twice but he was always on the phone with him um you know in the early in the morning or in the evening or or after my dad retired uh, during the daytime and um you know i i guess I guess my memory from this is that my dad um even though he had a financial person who he trusted, he was never hands off. He never let somebody else make the big decisions and i, I think that is something that rubbed off on me.
0: Do you have a planner in now and as uh, you and your wife manage your finances? I think you have twins too, right? so there are
1: um- we have twins and a and a younger and a ten year old as well um yeah you know, i I don't have a planner. I'm I've always I have a friend from college who who, um, I I always think one of these days I'm going to let Felicia manage our money. But it's just, (laughs) you know. Think because of inertia, I just I haven't I haven't gotten there yet. Not not because of, I've I'm committed to doing it myself.
0: Well, you're busy promoting a book. You got lots going on, and
1: exactly. I think uh, it has more to do with the kids than, <laughs> uh, than the book. <laughs> um,
0: well, share a failure now with us, John. Ooh, failure. So we talk about failure a lot on the show, not just because I like to uh, make things dark and gloomy, but because we hopefully will have. A lesson to share in that story, and so what was the craziest thing you ever bought? The dumbest movie you ever made? A failure of sorts that uh, you think was is worth sharing to teach others? Hey, don't do, don't try this at home.
1: Well, I don't know if this is a failure or not, uh, but uh, you know, I did buy a house in 2007, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> a, a big suburban house in 2007. Mm. So the timing of that was not, yeah. um, was not great um and honestly i covered real estate at the time and i was very skeptical of the whole notion of a real estate bubble which i i mean i think even if i even if that hadn't been my point of view i pro- we probably you know we needed a bigger house so um we probably would have gone ahead and done that but um i you know we certainly uh ended up buying a bigger house at the absolute worst time in the real estate market
0: and you still live in this home. So perhaps the we, market we, has we, recovered we, enough.
1: Yeah. You have equity. Yes, now. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah. We still live in the home. But um, let's just say I was keenly aware of the decline in our mm-hmm. house's value in the, in the few years that, that followed.
0: Oh, man. Well, you know, fortunately, you weren't too in over your head. You could still make the payment and uh, you live to tell the story.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the good news is I was able to, to on a couple occasions, um, You know, refinance our mortgage. So I kept being able to get better terms in our mortgage, even though the value of the house kept declining. So that took some of the sting off it, let's say.
0: So I think. This today, you know, tomorrow, the Fed is meeting. We're recording this, uh, in, uh, as get listeners, everyone. This is actually recording in uh, early September. And I believe the Fed's meeting and they're going to be raising rates. That's the word on the street. So if anybody is, uh, eager to refinance or buy a home, you know, not to say rush to do it now, but keep an eye on the market. I certainly am because I have to refinance soon and I'm not looking forward to it. So money can't say I've been. Yeah, go ahead. I, I,
1: I've been following dating so much over the past. You know,
0: haven't <laughs> been years. following.
1: The Fed, the, yeah, the, the Fed is a little bit off my radar at the moment.
0: That's probably a good thing. Uh, <laughs> so money moment, John. A time in your life when you had a financial win. Like, okay, so you bought the house in two thousand seven. That you know, at the time, felt like a failure. What would you say was your greatest accomplishment financially speaking?
1: Um. I mean, I'd say before, you know, back when I was buying individual stocks, I, I, I remember buying both Cisco and Sun Microsystems at the right time. Um, that probably had more to do with dumb luck than, than sheer brilliance on my part. But, um, you know, back when I was buying individual stocks, even if the the dollar amounts weren't huge, there is something really satisfying about um, about picking the right stock, even if you know we're not talking about huge amounts of money. Um, and, I, and I do think that that if you get the taste of picking the right stock or picking the right mutual fund, it can kind of motivate you to to learn more. And I, I feel like that was the case for me. I don't know if it's been that way for you as well.
0: Well, like. Not sort of like you when I was, a, I have never really had a portfolio that was big on individual stocks in a few cases. I did definitely buy some financial stocks in 2009, <laughs> which did well for me. Um, that was kind of the only time that I, I dabbled in individual stocks and, and largely I didn't because I was working at the com, and we had a bunch of, uh, l- I guess legalities that prevented us from yep. doing that, especially since I was, um, very at that time, really immersed in covering the stock market and talking to Jim Kramer every day, so I just kind of stuck with the mutual funds i can I know what you mean you know you you pick a stock and does well it's but it's kind of akin to like being in Vegas <laughs> and doing really well at the blackjack table and feeling like i 'm going to go for the next round, but as much as you think you have strategy, a lot of it is just also luck
1: yeah but maybe i'm i'm kind of uh, in some some ways, I'm always motivated by fear. So um, <laughs> so if you buy a stock that does well, the trick is to figure out when to sell. And, and usually I sell too early. So I, I think for me, having a stock with big gains built in motivated me to, to research that more. So I had a sense of when it was time to pull the plug.
0: Yeah. As Jim Cramer used to tell me, pigs get slaughtered. So when you start making money, you got to start taking some off the table. What's your so money ritual John a financial habit a behavior that you do regularly that you think really does help you maintain a clear picture of your of your finances helps you uh, just keep your ducks in a row
1: Um well you know when it comes once upon a time with stocks and today with mutual funds um I'm kind of wonkish and I like reading the annual statements uh for really? both mutual funds. <laughs> yeah, I do because um every once in a while with the mutual fund there you know, who, you know, in the fund manager statement we'll say and that um They own because normally, if you go on Yahoo Finance or one of these other sites, you only see the top 25 or top 10 holdings. I'm always curious what the smaller new holdings are uh, because obviously those are their are kind of their newer ideas, or it seems like frequently they're their newer ideas. So I'm I'm curious about the smaller holdings, and every once in a while, you won't just have an obscure smaller holding, but you'll find some guy. Who is actually shorting stocks at kind of the the, at the at the low end of their portfolio? And to me, those those kinds of oddball investment moves Mm -hmm. intrigue me.
0: Well, just a sidebar here for a moment, John. As a journalist, what piques your curiosity? What makes you go, "Hmm, I want to explore this"? And and can you give an an example of when that curiosity led to a big story that was even bigger than you thought?
1: Can I talk about the book in in this? Uh, yeah, in this for context? sure. Because Absolutely. Me, yeah. I mean, so, so with Datonomics, I, I, there was this big question that, um, I'm interested in, in big questions that seem like everybody should be thinking about or, or, or should know the answer to, but, but nobody, you know, either people don't understand or don't, um, don't answer correctly. So when it came to dating, I just knew all these women who just assumed it was their fault or figured maybe the problem is New York city itself. Um, as opposed to something, something more demographic in nature. Um, so I, in terms of this book, I, I just knew so many, so many women who, um, Believed they were going about it wrong and were buying all these dating books that basically told them, well, if you follow these 20 simple rules or not so simple rules, you'll meet Mr. Right. Um, but it, it didn't, it, the advice books and the strategies that mom, you know, offered some of these women about how to meet your guy, it never seemed to work. And I was just curious whether this wasn't a strategic problem, whether there was something more, more scientific, more demographic going on.
0: And there certainly was. Do you consider yourself now a dating expert?
1: (laughs) Well, I'm certainly not the love doctor or (laughs) I'm certainly not a dating coach. So occasionally in this context, people will ask me like very micro-ish questions about, well, I've been dating this guy for two years. How do I get him to love me or commit or, or, yeah. or treat me better? And I, I can't really answer that question. I mean, I, I do have more macro thoughts on, and we t- referenced this a bit earlier about if things aren't going well, some strategies you can employ and, and I mean, Moving geography, moving from the East Coast to the West Coast, that doesn't really work if you're 45 years old right. and you have a whole life in New York or Boston. But if you're a college, if you're about to graduate from college or if you're just starting out and you have more flexibility, um, certainly for women's cities like San Jose, California or Seattle or Denver, um, the numbers are more favorable in places like that.
0: It's true. I've lived in New York for now over 10 years and I, I, I meet more couples, happy couples that met, uh, outside the city or one was living here and the other was, they were maybe had a long distance relationship for a while. So it's, it is tough to meet, I think your soulmate <laughs> in New York city, not to mention because forget the, you know, the, the, the lopsidedness of the the, 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 gender, but it's really also, I think people are so focused on work, work, work here, generally speaking that, uh, they don't really allow themselves the time to dedicate to dating in a really, um, in a serious way, you know, and I don't, I don't think Tinder is serious. You know, if you're on Tinder, that's not really <laughs> the, I, I I don't know. I'm not, I, maybe I'm just old, no, old, I, I, old I, Farnoosh, you know, talking I, down I, from her married I, stoop, but.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you about Tinder. Although I will say, this notion that Vanity Fair put out there that the hookup culture didn't exist before Tinder arrived three years ago, mm-hmm. uh, to me that's kind of nonsensical. Yeah, um, you- but but what, what, one one sort of little like curiosity that did emerge from the numbers that that your listeners. Might be interested in is that that um, the suburbs actually tend to have better ratios of single men to single women from a woman's perspective than than city centers do, um, which you never would expect because you'd think all the all the guys in the suburbs would be married, but in fact the dating numbers are better hmm. better for women in, in the suburbs than they are in the cities.
0: That's counterintuitive because you think that's totally where everybody counter- goes when you get no, married,
1: right? It's totally counter but I think what's happening and this may, this may sound plausible to uh, is that, that men are actually more willing to commute for work and men are more into having, you know into owning property and owning open space for whatever reason um, and I think this is why you, you know you see men who men being more likely to to live alone or live a single life in the suburbs than than women
0: Wow. Wow, wow, wow. This is a lot to take in, but I think uh, just really a great time for this book. Let's do some so many fill-in-the-blanks, John. This is the part of the interview where I start a sentence and you finish it. We really get to get into your inner thinking. Uh Yeah, so brace yourself. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say $100 million, I would...
1: Buy a beach house in Watch Hill, Rhode Island.
0: Very specific.
1: Well, I, we just we just got – we were we went on vacation there um, uh, and I loved it. And so Taylor Swift has a big house on a hill just overlooking the beach and I want to live right next oh, to Oh, well,
0: now we're getting to the truth. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you should see our house. It's
0: amazing. <laughs> the one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is?
1: Um, Starbucks coffee. How about that? <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I got some Starbucks this morning and it did make my life – a lot more alert. I should be. <laughs> my, my biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on is
1: spinning. I um, knew you
0: were going to say that.
1: Yeah. I'm, you know, I've, I'm kind of a, I've become like a midlife fitness convert and, um, I spend an enormous amount of money at places like flywheel or, or my gym equinox. So I, I, you know, it, it's, there are worse things you can do with your money than that, but I, I probably do spend too much money on it.
0: So SoulCycle is about to go public. Uh, do you think that this is just a hype? I mean, you're going to be a well, little biased, but as from like a financial journalist standpoint, what do you think about these boutique gyms that are charging you like 35, 40 bucks per class? Is it, does it have a longevity?
1: Well, it's interesting. You know, I, I've I taken in a couple soul psycho classes they're just in terms of the the way they're choreographed they, they're just not for me you know I think some people love them some people don't I I just happen not to like them however um, the, the the giant financial nerd that I am I did actually read the the soul psychoque and their finances are incredible. Yeah. This is not some kind of a this is not one of these startups that hopes to maybe someday make money. Their their profit margins are fantastic right now. Um now I I don't know for sure whether that's going to keep up, but the business model certainly looks really scalable because every every it, it looks like every one of their their studios is minting money mm-hmm. and they have very little debt um and the sales of silk cycle merchandise seem to be increasing so um i mean just as a business right now it's a really good business um right. and frequently when you're buying startups you're not so much you're not really buying the current business you're buying the hope and the promise of something to come but right now this is already a really good business
0: yeah i believe the profit margin is something like 30%
1: it's incredible which yeah. is
0: unheard of all right, thanks for that little uh that little <laughs> mini sidebar on uh, soul cycle. Very interesting, I have to say. I'm also kind of nerdy in that space too. One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is
1: I guess I wish I had known how much uh, the value of new cars depreciate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm at a point now where I will never buy a new car again. I'm only going to lease. Um, but when I was younger, I, I believed you know, buying was the better way to go. Um, but now I'm, I've learned my lesson. Um, and actually, I had. Have you ever um, done anything on your podcast or your website about about Carfax? Do you know that that service? Oh, I, that, well, uh, um
0: I haven't, but I know the commercials really well. Show All me your right. card facts, yeah.
1: Okay, so um, we had a minivan that we had owned for a, a long time that we recently sold, and um, we'd only been in one accident, and, and a, a somebody while we were waiting to pick up our kid clipped our side view mirror, and you know the insurance take care of, took care of it and fixed the side view mirror. Um, But when it came time to selling the minivan, because the Carfax report showed that we had been in an accident, in other words, because this mirror thing had happened, the resale value of the car was about $1,500 lower just because Carfax. Showed us showed the car in an accident, and and this kind of reinforced to me that you're better off leasing because hmm. there were just so many things, rational and irrational, that can reduce yeah, the resale value. Yeah, so irrational because you, you got it
0: fixed. Stuff. You got it fixed, and it's I got it than fixed. New. Right? Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Well, I just took my car into the service center today because I accidentally hit a steel dump dumpster in my in Williamsburg as I was trying to parallel park. I've never been in an like any kind of s- somewhat collision nothing. I've never had to use my auto insurance. Took it into Toyota today and I'm waiting for my estimate. So wish me luck. <laughs> Do you lease or own? I own. But you know, yeah, I own, I own. again, like I feel like being someone that has covered personal finance for so long, leasing has always been this thing that you only stupid people do. Like, oh, you just want that fancy car every three years. It's just basically, you it's a perpetual car payment. You want to buy a good car and drive it into the ground. And so you're not really in that camp anymore.
1: Yeah, I, I just don't think cars hold their value that well. Um now maybe that's something wrong with the the resale market. Um because I you know, I've I've sold cars that were in really good condition and I loved um and I thought were should have been worth more than they were, but mm. for whatever reason you know, the market is what the market is, and the resale value for a used car is just not that good. So I, I, I'm at a point now where unless something changes, I'm only going to lease going forward.
0: When I donate money, I like to give to blank because?
1: Hmm. Um, what do I like to give um, to? You know, we I've given to Doctors Without Borders. I've given to... Um, the Red Cross, um, uh, my my temple that I belong to, Brown University, where I'm a, an alum of. Yeah, you know, I I can't say that I'm like I have a whole strategy. I, I'm probably one of these people who, um, uh, like, phone appeals work really well on <laughs> because I I don't have a, a philanthropic strategy. So if somebody catches me at the right time, I'm I'm probably More likely to give.
0: I'm kind of like you. I remember after um, Hurricane Sandy, our neighbor just knocked on our door and said, "You know, I'm I'm a principal at PS whatever, and um, we have a lot of displaced students, and we're doing a Kickstarter to raise money. Could you please share it on your Facebook wall?" And I said, "Well, how much money do you need? Oh, it's like twelve hundred dollars." And even and just that day, I was thinking, I really want to dedicate some money to this cause. I don't, I don't, you know, I already did Red Cross and how else can I do this to make a direct impact? And literally that day I told the universe and she came knocking on my door, didn't even ask me for money. She just wanted me to share it on Facebook, this campaign. And I just wrote her a check right then and there. And that's kind of been my MO when it comes to donating.
1: Particularly if it's a good cause, it's yeah. it's hard to friends. I mean, I, you know, just getting <laughs> circling back to spinning. Uh, you know, I have a lot of friends who do, um, cycle for survival, which is a, um, a, a cancer fundraiser that the health club Equinox does. Um, and, you know, I, when people ask me to, to sponsor them, I just have a hard time saying no because it is a, it is a good cause.
0: It is. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Last but not least, John, finish this sentence for us. I'm John Berger. I'm so money because.
1: I'm so money because, um, I just re- finished my first book. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, does this have to be a financial answer or? No, it or- doesn't
0: have to be, you know, it's kind of whatever you want it to be. It's kind of an expression of your badassity and it could be a financial badassity, but it could also just be your overall, why you feel great about who you are it's, it's ragging
1: well i'm i'm I, i'm pretty i'm fairly proud of my new book data not just because i think it's a good book but because 3 years ago i wasn't sure whether i had the um the sticktuitiveness to mm. um commit to a project with such a long gestation period I mean as a as a journalist you know you kind of we get used to you know uh, changing you, know, you do something new every week or as a daily journalist every day and i just wasn't sure if i had the um the willpower to stick with <laughs> one topic one project for 2 or 3 years so i'm At least I proved something to myself there.
0: Absolutely. Everyone, check out Datanomics, datanomics datanomics.com. John Berger, thanks so much. It was really nice to connect voice to voice after all these years.
1: Thank you, Frenage.
0: That's a wrap. Wasn't that a fun interview? If you'd like to learn more about John Berger, his website is dateonomics.com. He's also at johnberger.com. That's B-I-R-G-E-R. We've also uh, got all of this information at somoneypodcast.com along with the transcript from this interview and comments. Love to hear what you think about this particular issue, dating, men versus women, what women want, what men want. If you're single and you haven't found Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, Let us know why you think and share all that with us in the comment section. Again, all of us at SoMoneyPodcast.com, where also you can send me your question for Friday's Ask Farnoosh episodes. So head over to SoMoneyPodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, and that's where we will connect. Thanks so much to my guest, John Berger, and for all of you for tuning in. Hope your day is so money.